वेलकम टू आर ए पॉडकास्ट एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू राहुल सिन्हा सो टुडे आई गिव एन यू एन इंट्रोडक्शन ऑफ द मोरालिटी प्ले वट आर मोरालिटी प्लेज मोरालिटी प्लेज ऑफ द मिडियबल पीरियड रिवॉल्व राउंड द ड्रामाटाइजेशन ऑफ एलेगरीज मेनली बेस्ड ऑन द क्रिश्चन लाइफ एंड द जर्नी टू सीक सेल्वेशन एनी ड्रामा ऑफ दिस काइंड would have a clash between the virtues and vices all of these characteristics were personified and the audience could actually see the virtues or vices trying to get better of each other this was a revolutionary improvement in the medieval drama and audience were liked the fresh ideas presented through these dramas the most prevalent character seen in the personification of vice or the devil which was which made the audience fall into a state of wonder the use of these personifications continued even in the elizabethan drama as one can see in christopher marlowe's dr faustus the finest examples of the morality plays are the castle of perseverance every man and mankind they exhibit every element expected of a morality play plays like these were considered as links between the medieval drama and the elizabethan drama the morality play has its roots in the miracle and mystery plays of the 11th century miracle plays were dramas that revolved around the lives of saints or the virgin mary mystery plays revolved around stories from the bible and were also known as pageants or as corpus christi plays mystery plays were performed across europe during the 13th to 16th centuries miracle plays were performed even earlier often as a church service until the 13th century when they were separated from the church services and could instead be seen performed at public festivals however most miracle plays were lost in the zeal of the reformation when the scripts were burned and destroyed morality plays arose from this tradition and represent a transition between such religion based plays to secular professional theater the earliest surviving example in english is the long castle of perseverance 1420 and the best known is every man 1510 by the dawn of the 15th century morality plays were common throughout medieval europe as didactic plays intended to teach good morals to their audience morality plays were originally quite serious in tone and style due to their roots in religion drama as time wore on and the plays became more secularized they began to incorporate elements from popular farce this process was encouraged by the representation of the devil and his servant the wise as mischievous troublemakers 
The devil and the wise soon became figures of amusement rather than moral edification. In addition, the church noticed that the actors would often improvise humorous segments and scenes to increase the play's hilarity to the crowd by roughly 1500. The church no longer officially sanctioned the mystery, miracle or morality plays. By the 16th century, these plays started to deal with secular topics as medieval theatre started to make the changes that would eventually develop into Renaissance theatre. As time moved, morality plays more frequently dealt with secular topics including forms of knowledge in nature and the nature of the four elements. Questions of Good Government, Magnificence by John Skelton and Republica by Nicholas Udall. Education, Wit and Science by John Redford and the two other wit plays that followed. The Marriage of Wit and Science and Wit and Wisdom and sectarian controversies chiefly in the plays of John Bale. Morality plays survived, however, even though the Reformation in the 16th century and only gradually died out as tastes changed towards the beginning of the 17th century. Throughout his career, which continued until the early 17th century, Shakespeare made references to morality characters and tropes, confirming that the form was still alive for his audiences, at least in memory if not in practice. The conclusion is that Christopher Marlowe and other Elizabethan dramatists have immensely contributed not only to the fields of arts but also in other sectors like education. The works of such poets have continued to shape the career of the upcoming drama players. These dramatists had very enthusiastic writing skills that the world would continue to admire and use. Attending the theatre was an extremely popular pastime during the Elizabethan era. The theatre was able to flourish during the 16th century partly because Queen Elizabeth herself was a supporter of the arts. She enjoyed attending theatrical entertainments and that legitimized the activity for the rest of the citizens. Most of the populace loved going to the theatre and as Geoffrey L. Singman notes in his book Daily Life in Elizabethan England, there was a constant and insatiable demand for plays and actors which became who became very popular figures, the first stars, but not everyone was thrilled with the theatre's popularity. There were some who shunned it and others who actively campaigned against it. The Puritans were particularly vocal in their opposition 
to the English playhouses and numerous treatises and pamphlets were written warning citizens of the evil and immorality that could be found festering in these amusements. The first major assault came in 1577 in John North Brooks, a treatise against dicing dancing plays and interludes this was followed by stephen gosson's school of abuse in 1579 as oscar brockett comments both works railed in the harshest term against the theatre as an instrument used by the devil to encourage vice and to take people away from honest work and other useful pursuits these attacks were answered by theatre supporters with the famous response being Sir Philip Sidney's defence of poetry in 1595. Martha Kurtz, in examination of the history, plays that were popular with the audiences in the late Elizabethan age argues that the strong anti-feminist pattern of Exclusion is only on the surface. Beneath the obvious is a strong feminine domestic foundation to which the men will return when and if they survive their political intrigues. While Elizabethan audiences continued to enjoy theatre, the philosophical battle continued to range and the Puritans finally succeeded in closing the theatres in 1642. Elizabethan drama did not disappear, however, the theatres were reopened in 1660 and the works of these fine playwrights were once again brought to the stage. The reputation of the great works of Elizabethan drama grew steadily in England and throughout the rest of the world. They have consistently been performed and appreciated up to modern times. People in the 21st century look to this era as one that produced some of the finest drama in all of theatre history in attesting to the significance of Elizabethan drama. John Gassner writes, no one with even the slightest interest in English literature needs to be told that its greatest period is the Elizabethan age and no one familiar with that period is likely to depart with the consensus that its major literary achievement is the drama. R.C. Bald also weighs in with this superlative praise of the Elizabethan playwrights. Even if Shakespeare had never lived, the last 15 years of Queen Elizabeth's reign and the reign of King James I would still be the greatest period in the history of English drama. Plays from this period are still produced all over the world and Shakespeare is recognized by many of the greatest playwrights of all time. His works are considered timeless and universal and they continue to resonate more than 400 years after his death. In her 1997 book Life in the Elizabethan Theatre, Diane Yancey notes, the number of Shakespearean acting companies and theatre productions that exist today 
also bears witness to the continuing importance of Elizabethan drama. The Elizabethan playwrights created a body of work that has withstood the test of time. Their work has influenced all succeeding generations of theatre artists and audiences. Thank you for listening to RA Podcast. Keep tuning in to RA Podcast for further fantastic podcasts. Thank you.